My name is Bill Brown. I'm one of the pastors here at Parkview, and I get the pleasure of introducing our speaker today. Uh, if you've been around Parkview very long, you've probably heard Tim talk about a church that we've helped start, and by we, I mean all of you through your generosity and support, we've helped start this church as a church where there once was none in Salt Lake City, Utah. So our guest speaker today is Kyle Costello. He is the lead pastor at Missio Day Church. He and his wife, Joy, moved to Salt Lake City, started this church from nothing, and there's a great work going on there. He's got a fantastic story. I'm not going to tell you all his story because that's why we brought him here. I will tell you, the first time I met Kyle uh, was at a dinner in Baltimore, Maryland, and there's two things that really stood out when I first met Kyle. First of all, at that dinner, um, I had the best crab cakes I've ever had in my life. I mean, they were like a softball and chunky crab meat and butter, and it was, I'm having a moment here, just bear with me, all right? Uh, it was fantastic. The, the other thing I remember, though, and, and the most important thing, was the passion that Kyle and Joy had about the work they were going to be doing in Salt Lake. And I, I actually said, we were actually doing this kind of assessment. They were going through this evaluation for being church planters, people that start churches. And I remember the evaluation group I was in, I talked to these other pastors, and I said, I would follow them. I would follow them. They're passionate about what they're doing. They're gifted. So um, we're just happy to be, you know, we, we talk about guest speakers, and when you, when you think of guest speakers, you think of people that you don't really have a connection with. Uh, Kyle and Joy are more like partners in ministry with Parkview and with us. So would you please welcome Kyle Costello. Those, uh, well, good morning, Parkview. Those crab cakes were no joke. Man, I tell you, I think about those crab cakes a lot. Um, it is awesome to be here with you guys this morning. It's awesome to, uh, to come and to get to see faces and, um, and, and hear stories about a church that, that, I've, that I was first introduced to in that moment that, that Bill talked about that week where uh, my wife and I went to uh, Baltimore, Maryland and sat and was kind of assessed as whether or not we should be people that would go and plant a church. And uh, from that minute, I started to hear about Parkview, and then I got to meet Tim, and um, you know, he's really shy, so you have to pull a lot of stuff out about him. Uh, and then we decided that they decided, hey, well, we want to partner with you guys in planting this church in Salt Lake. And so it's been my desire and kind of passion to, uh, to come here and get to meet all of you uh, and get to see um, just what you have going here because you may not know it, but, um, but you're telling God's story and that's affecting people all over this country, uh, probably all over this world. And so just to come here and hang with you guys and to be with you and to say thank you say thank you on the behalf of a, of a church that will worship today in Salt Lake City that two years ago wasn't there, and that's due in large part because of you. It's pretty awesome. So maybe just give yourself a little round of applause for that. Yeah. The, um, the reason that I went to Salt Lake, or one of the reasons is why I'm gonna, what I'm going to talk about today, and uh, I've had this passion for that area since I was a little kid, and it's because I was born there. I was born about 45 miles south in Provo, Utah, when my parents were going to uh, BYU, Brigham Young University. And I grew up as kind of a sixth-generation uh, Mormon. It was something that my family had, had been about really for, for hundreds of years at the time, right? 
And it was what I knew my whole life growing up. I grew up for 10 years in Utah and then uh, for the rest of my kind of school life on a, on a border town of, of Utah and Nevada. And it was just in my blood. It was my heritage. It was everything that my family knew and did. And, um, and it was something that I wanted to enter into and enter into proudly. And I don't know if you know much about the, the Mormon church, but there are certain things that you're supposed to do. In fact, it's a, it's a faith that's built on, on you kind of controlling your destiny. So you control your destiny here on earth. You control your destiny eternally by things that you do. So when you're eight years old, you're, you're challenged with being baptized. And, and you decide whether you're going to be baptized or not. And I said at eight that I was going to be baptized. And then if you're a male, when you're, when you're 12 years old, you decide whether you're going to receive what they call the priesthood. And I said, yes, I want to receive the priesthood. And so I entered into that. When you're 14, you go into another office. When you're 16, you go into another office. For me, I also went through and graduated from their seminary, which is a four-year um, uh, course of classes throughout your high school life. And it was just part of me. It was who I was. One thing you have to understand with, with Mormonism is it, it is a way of life. It's not something that you do for a few hours on Sunday. It's not something that you do every once in a while. It's who you are. And when you live in Utah, it's just your culture. It's what you're all about. So I kind of said, yeah, I'm going to do these things that I'm supposed to do. I'm going to take steps that I'm supposed to take. And, and really, as the firstborn son of somebody who wanted to make my father proud, I wanted to, to enter into everything that was set before me. I was always kind of a daddy's boy, and so this week is kind of cool because this is my first time ever to Chicago, and um, he taught me baseball by watching Cubs games on, on WGN, right? Some, some clap for that last night, and then I said, but you need to know I'm not a Cubs fan. And then I got even a bitter cheer. But I told him, I'm like, Dad, I'm going to Wrigley. He's like, that's awesome, because, you know, whether you're a Cubs fan or not, it's kind of an iconic place. Um... But I grew up wanting to, uh, to continue that legacy, continue those, those generations of, of, um, of Mormons who had first kind of pushed their handcarts across the plains when they left Nauvoo, Illinois, and then went to the Salt Lake City Valley and, and settled there. And so when I was 18 years old, I was getting ready to go on a mission. And a mission is maybe the most, uh, you know, out here, maybe a little further east of, of Utah, it's maybe where you've had the most contact with, uh, with the Mormon church. And what they do is when you're a 19-year-old male, you're called to go on a mission. And it's not a mission, like maybe you understand mission trips where it would be where you go to, um, you know, a, a country and build a house or you go serve food or you go downtown. But a, a mission in the Mormon church is where you go for two years and you, and you knock on doors and you, and you share the faith and you share the story of Mormonism. So you talk about who Joseph Smith is and who Brigham Young is and what the Book of Mormon is about. And, and so I was ready to go on that because that was something that had been ingrained in me since I was a kid. And so I was 18 and I was getting ready to go on that and I kind of sat down and I wanted to, um, to prepare, right? So that if I came here, if I came to Chicago, Illinois and I started knocking on doors that I'd be able to convert all of you. 
And I had a pretty good understanding of that faith. I, like I said, I, I was just pretty devout all my life growing up. And, um, and so I kind of wrote down, I thought would be the top 10 objections or top 10 questions I would get. And I felt like I could answer most of them. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was 18. And when you're 18, you think you can answer most all everything, right? But there were a few that I, that I struggled with. And, and so I went to my church leaders and began to, to wrestle with those. And uh, I didn't go to, to ask those questions to be um, antagonistic, to leave the faith, to, to, to shame anyone. Or, but what happened when I started to ask those questions is there was a, an interesting response, and it was a response of, Kyle, you don't get to ask those questions. If you, you only would ask those questions if you, if you lack faith. You'd only ask those questions if you don't really understand who we are and what we are about. And that kind of freaked me out. It freaked me out because I sat in front of my bishop, who's kind of akin to a, to a senior pastor, and he says, uh, what gives you the right to ask these questions? And the whole time I was like, look, I'm not trying to, to blow this thing up. I'm just trying to get some help so when I go on my mission that I can um, you know, be this just kind of great conversion machine. They said, when you ask those questions, you question your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather, and what gives you the right to do that? And so I struggled significantly with that and and ended up, after a few weeks, uh, leaving the Mormon faith. It would be a good story if I kind of marched down the road to a a Christian church and and was converted, but to be honest, I um, I was done with religion. I was done with something that I felt and kind of understood in my mind then was, was used to maybe manipulate people for, for, for money or for power or for fame and I was just going to now buy into the, to the religion of Kyle. And again, when you're 18, that's really easy to do. I was in college at the time and so I was just going to focus on kind of getting a good education, getting a good job, finding a great wife, you know, build a great home, the American kind of dream. Like that's what I was going to focus on and I I felt kind of hurt and betrayed and angry at what I had grown up with and I'd found it out to be false and I just wasn't going to go down that road again. For two years I just kind of lived in that and to be honest it was a fine two years didn't have any problems falling asleep at night. I didn't question, hey God, where are you? But then there came a girl. Because it always starts with a girl. <laughs> and I met this girl while I was going to, um, to UNLV, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And uh, she, um, she was different. She was different because... Um, in Las Vegas and growing up in Utah and then kind of a little Mormon town on the Utah-Nevada border then moving to Las Vegas, uh, I don't know if you know this, but it isn't exactly the, the hotbed of evangelical Christianity, you know? But I meet this girl and she's just different. She's different the way she acts. She's different the way she talks. She's different the way she, she speaks about life. And I begin to uh, really just want to get to know her more, want to, want to date her. And her group of girlfriends is friends with my group of guy friends. And so one night we're all out at dinner and she says, hey, I've got to go home early. I've got to go home early because I have to work in the morning. And I lied and said, so do I. Because um, I wanted to get a ride home, right, so I could talk with her. 
She's like, oh, okay, all right. And um, we're walking out to her, her car, and uh, on the back of her bumper, I see the, the fish, the Jesus fish, right? I'm like, why? Why? Because she's really cute, man. I mean, she's really hot, and that's what I just want to get to know. And then I'm like, why? And I'm like, I'm pretty optimistic. So immediately my mind goes, maybe it's a used car. <laughs> and we get in, and I'm like, hey, uh, hey, what is that uh, fish thing on the back of your car there? And she's like, well, um, I'm a Christ follower. I'm like, dang it. I'm like, well, what, is, what does that mean? I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. And, you know, I do what every good kind of, uh, you know, just American does. I want to label her so I, can, so I can figure her out. And even though I don't know what labels mean, I'm like, are you a Baptist? Are you a Lutheran? Are you a Methodist? Again, I don't, I've not grown up around any of these people. I don't know what those words mean, but I want to hear her say that. And she's like, well, no, no, I go to this non-denominational church, and uh, I'm, just, I'm, a, I'm a Christ follower, and I believe, and she just gives me the gospel message. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that he invites me into this relationship with him, that, that it's by nothing that I do, but it's just by this grace that God gives me. And you know, I'm not really hearing any of it. I just want to know what you're, so I'm like, so are you born again, Christian? She's like, well, you could say I'm, I'm, I'm born again. Yeah, I've been, like, the, God has just uh, made my life new. I've been baptized, and, and I'm like, oh, born again. Okay, I know those people. They're on cable TV, right? <laughs> They're on cable TV in the really high numbers. Uh, it's pretty soon, I assume, you're going to start wearing a lot of makeup, cry a lot, <laughs> ask me for money. And uh, I, I, I'm willing... So when you're 20 years old, 21 years old, as much of an issue as I had with religion and faith, you were willing to overlook a lot of things when what, guys? When that girl is hot. And so, and it's okay, I can keep calling her that. She's my wife. Um, she, and so I'm like, all right, well, I can deal with this, I think. And she invites me to her church, and so I go, and uh, I can't tell you how much it looked so similar to this. It's almost eerie. And for me, that's a, that was a big paradigm shift. That, was, that broke every rule I knew about church. Because to walk in and to have comfortable chairs and for people to be happy and for uh, there to be some coffee and some donuts, that was not what I experienced growing up. I experienced kind of three-hour church settings, pretty religious, pretty uh, uh, just kind of official, always in suit and tie and coat. And, um, and so she invites me to her church and she's like, first of all, it's only an hour long. So I'm like, wow, deal, that's good. And then she's like, and, uh, and you don't have to dress up. And I was like, oh oh, I'm not going to be the one who looks like an idiot. Like, I'll dress up. Like, it'll be fine. She's like, no, don't dress up. Don't dress up. But I get, she shows up. I'm all dressed up, and I look like the idiot, right? <laughs> but, but I go, and I, and, and I hear the, 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 the music, and I see the video screens, and the message kind of preached, and, and it, it does. It ends in an hour. And I went, oh, I can do this, because, again, she's, like, really hot. And so... Um, <laughs> I, I, I go with her and continue to, to, to attend, and, uh, and it's about the third or fourth time in that, that just me, I'm just thinking I'm showing up to show this girl that I like her, and God just starts to, to mess with me. And I hear this pastor, and he's preaching a message. And this pastor, to me, to be honest, if I just uh, 
kind of observed him through the lens of, oh man, how many years ago was that now? 13 years ago. To me, it just fed into everything that I had believed about religion because they were, they were growing and they had chairs up on the sides and um, it could just tell there was a buzz about it. And I just thought, well, you know, this is religion. It's just maybe a different form. And, and somehow, some way, they're just kind of manipulating people for celebrity or power or gain. Uh, but then this pastor gives this message out of Ephesians. And he stands up and he looks at this growing congregation that, that's there and vibrant and alive. And he says, hey, um, if you're here because of, of me you're here because of the band, if you're here because of the, just who we are. He's like, if you're here for anything except Jesus, he goes, if you're putting your trust in anything outside of Christ, if you're putting your hope in anything outside of this gospel, this good news that we know, because you probably just shouldn't come. He goes, because someday if it's all about the band, if you come here just because of the cool music or just because of the way it's different, he goes, they're going to play a song you don't like and you're going to leave. If you're here because you like the way that I speak, if you're here because you think somehow I've got it together, somehow I've got it figured out, then I'm going to let you down and I'm going to disappoint you. For me, I was like, wow, that's a game changer. That's different than anything I've ever heard before. Because all my life I was taught to put faith, I was taught to put trust in, in, in men and women who had gotten it figured out. And when I say that, I mean that in the context of the religion I grew up in and I mean that in the context of life. Because as much as the religion I grew up in says you, you have to get it figured out and you have to go through this step and that step, so does our culture, Right? Our culture says you, you, you have to go to school here, you have to get a job that makes this much money, you have to live in this neighborhood, then you'll be somebody, then you'll have it figured out, then you'll show to everyone that you've got it down, that you're worth something. But I heard that pastor stand up that day and say, man, if it's about anything other than Jesus, anything other than the grace and the mercy and the healing that he gives us, if your hope and your trust is in anything other than that, because then you're really just hopeless. And he reads this passage from Ephesians chapter 2, and it's really just the gospel. It's the Christian message. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. He did this in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith and not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And I heard that message and I began to have to wrestle with this God that I was presented with with this truth, with this message of, of good news, of saving news that was so different than anything that had ever been communicated to me. Because all my life, whether it was the religion of, that I grew up in or the religion of culture, it was about what I did, how I figured it out, and all of a sudden it was about what God did. 
It was about God making us alive in Jesus Christ, God raising us up in Christ, God giving us his incomparable riches and grace. It's a gift of God. And why? So that he can proclaim his mercy, his forgiveness, his love. And it even says that he'll, he'll use us to show that to the world. In other parts of scripture it says he uses the weak and the broken to showcase his greatness. I was like, huh. But I'm a stubborn guy. So as much as that that message started to mess with me. It, it took a while. It, 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 I wish I could tell you that I just went forward that day, that I, that I surrendered that day, but I had to wrestle with this because there were still big wounds in my heart. I did not want to go down the path that I had went down before. I did not want to feel foolish again. So for two and a half years, I just wrestled and fought this thing. And through God's mercy and through his patience, he led me to other parts of scripture where he just continued to to show me time and time and time again who he was, who this Jesus was, what he was all about. And every time it came back to him being this incredible God of mercy, of grace, of forgiveness, not a God of religion, but a God of relationship. So whether you look in New Testament or Old, he is a God of relationship. He's a God who in the Old Testament takes this nobody named Abraham and says, I'll make a great nation of you. He's a God in the Old Testament who takes a bunch of slaves and says, I'm going to proclaim my mercy and my grace and my healing and my forgiveness through you. He's a God who comes and walks the earth as, as Jesus and calls who? Not the religious elite, not the people who have culture figured out, but, but nobodies, fishermen and, and tax collectors. And he says, you come follow me, you come learn this grace, you come learn this faith, and then go tell it to the world. So in my stubbornness, it was two and a half years later when I realized and recognized that he didn't want me to jump through hoops Heck, he doesn't need me to jump through hoops. What he's asking me to do is he's asking me to come into this relationship with him. And here's the thing about relationships. Relationships are, are dynamic. They're, they're always moving, right? Whether you're in a good relationship or a bad relationship. Whether your, your friendship is growing stronger or it's growing weaker. Relationships never stay the same. And so from that time, um, after those two and a half years passed, when I entered into that relationship with him, he's been constantly revealing himself to me, making himself known. And just like all of you all could probably testify, um, it starts to change who you are and what you're about. Any relationship will. Ask the folks who have been married in here for, I don't care, you can ask the folks who have been married in here for three days and they'll talk about how a marriage can just totally change who you are and how you see life. For one thing, it'll it'll reveal um, your selfishness. I've been married for 10 years now and I love my wife. She's an incredible wife who, 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 who just, man, I can't tell you the ways that she serves me and loves me and attends to me. And every day I wake up and as much as I want to make it about her, I still want to make it about me. (laughs) That's just kind of my junk. You're getting all my junk today. But you take a a marriage relationship and then compare it to a relationship with the living God. 
with the living God who from no merit of our own just says, I want to love you. I want to heal you. I want you to see why you were ultimately created and that's to be in relationship with me and that will start to change you. And so as that kind of relationship just progressed and as, as God just mercifully transformed me, I got to see how, how selfish I was. I got to see how I had made it all about me and not about him. And thankfully, he gave me a, a church that was so willing to go, yeah, um, he did the same, he's doing the same with me. And so I didn't feel like some, some crazy person. He gave me a community where they were, just urged me to continue to press into that relationship. He gave me a wife and a family who also did the same. And, and through that, I, I just felt a desire to go into ministry and a desire to, to serve him with, with gifts that he had given me in that way. And so I went on staff at that church that, um, that I had originally heard that gospel message preached. And it was there that I got to go to seminary, and it was there that, uh, in seminary where I felt this desire to go plant a church. And it was after seminary, I moved to Portland, Oregon to go on staff at a, at a church where they were all about church planting, always about planting churches, and, and kind of said, hey, um, we're going to have you and Joy plant in a certain part of, of Portland, Oregon, which I was completely happy with. And then God said, actually, I want you to go to Salt Lake City. And for us, we were like, hey, yeah, it's really cool. Like, somebody should plant in Salt Lake City, but God, like, you know, we have this agenda over here, and we figured it all out. We're going to Oregon. And he's like, no, nah, you're going to go to Salt Lake City. <laughs> and what was awesome is the church that I was at was so open to, to, who, to how God was moving. And they said, let's, let's just take some time. Let's pray about that. Let's come back and meet and discuss it. And after just a couple of months had passed, everybody was on board. Yeah, man, you're going to Salt Lake City. We're going to send you to Salt Lake City. So they stood up in front of the congregation and said, hey, um, Kyle and Joy are going to Salt Lake City. Who wants to go with them? Everybody should go with them if you can. And we had over 30 folks say, yeah, we want to go tell this story of, of God's grace, of this relational God to this city in Utah. And it was mind-blowing and it was humbling every time I sat across a dinner table or across a table in a coffee shop and somebody said, hey, yeah, we're in. And so people quit jobs, people pulled their kids out of school, and we, and we went and moved to Salt Lake City in January of 2010. And before that, it was amazing to, to hear how, as much as we thought that it was just this story about going from Portland to Salt Lake, that God was going to tell this story um, in other places. So he was going to tell it in Chicago, Illinois, through Parkview Christian Church. As you guys just stepped up and supported us incredibly, supported us and continue to support us and sustain us in a way that allows us to just go forward and proclaim the gospel of this relational God. And you don't, I don't know if you know this, but you're partnered with churches in Texas. You're partnered with churches in, in Arizona that are all supporting us. And so then I get to stand up in Salt Lake and tell a story about the church that's just universal. About faces and names that they've never even seen or heard. But they get to thank God for you because you're telling the story, again, of relationship. You didn't do that because God said, hey, after you've been around for 10, 15 years, you, you have to plant this church or you have to plant so many churches every year. You're doing it out of an overflowing of his grace in your life. 
And you need to know how that affects a city that's kind of ruled by religion. You need to know how cool that is when we have this weird name, right? It's Missio Dei, which is the mission of God or God's mission in Latin. And I love it because you can say that word in Salt Lake City and they go, what is that? And then you get to get into a 10-minute you know, conversation on really what is God's mission. It's this mission of proclaiming his love, this mission of proclaiming his forgiveness, of reconciling a creation that has rejected him, that has rebelled from him. And we get to do that by, by talking about folks in, in Chicago. We get to do that by talking about folks who've left their homes in Oregon and moved to Salt Lake City. And, and what we do is we proclaim that message that's in Ephesians, but we proclaim it with flesh and blood. We proclaim it with lives submitted to God. And that's all we've tried to do in Salt Lake. We've tried to join God in that, that mission of proclaiming this grace, proclaiming this message of, of love and forgiveness. And that's what you're doing by, by supporting us and loving us. I want to show you a video now that they've shown, and I, th I know they've shown it here about a year ago, but it's just kind of the way that we've kind of uh, just packaged it together so we can start a conversation with those folks in Salt Lake. And we'll give you a little bit of taste about who we are. Go ahead and show it. Here we are in Salt Lake City. In whatever city you're in, you're going to find people talking about God and how to be close to God. That God wants you to do good things and stop doing bad things. Some people are saying things about God like this. And other people like this. And we're told that the stakes are kind of high, right? So we pull ourselves together, get ourselves to church, and start doing what is right. But here's the dirty little secret of religion. If you try and try and try to make yourself good, you either somewhat succeed, you expect God owes you something in return, and you look down on other people who aren't as good, all the while a little nervous that someone's going to get to know the real you. Or you get fed up with it all. You're mad at yourself for being a failure, and you're mad at this whole institution that makes people behave this way. Here's the thing. Jesus taught that you are completely incapable of being good. Not just sort of incapable, maybe if I try a little harder, but completely incapable. But God is bigger than you, and fortunately, loving and creative. Jesus taught that God's Spirit can take this stuff that's in you and replace it with this. Seriously, you, you can't do it, but God's Spirit can. What does this mean? It means that if Jesus was right, you shouldn't focus on trying to be good and trying to make other people good. Stop. Seriously, stop. Because you're trying to be good is actually distracting you from what is really, truly good, which is God's forgiveness, creativity, and love. Jesus said that he's creating a new reality, and only he can do this. We believe that Jesus is right. So church isn't a place to get your stuff together or show God how deserving you are. A church is a group of people in one city who remind each other of what Jesus said and did. And simply let that truth change us.
Thanks. So after a year and a half, we've been there and we've started uh, just kind of going for it. And we have, um, uh, we started in my house back in Easter of 2010, which is a rad day to start a church, just so you know. And uh, we've, we've since gone into five different homes. We have five house churches. We now have a worship gathering on Sunday, which will soon be going to two worship gatherings. And it's just been um, God's grace that has allowed us to do that. And, he, and he's been using you to just kind of shower that grace upon us. So I thank you for telling the story of relational God. I thank you for not telling the story of, of religion, of, of pretending that it's something that we figure out, but rather it's just something that, that, that we live into and that we celebrate and that we respond to. So will you pray with me? God, uh, you are so good. Your scripture does say that... Um, that you choose the weak and the broken, you choose them to, to, to heal, you choose them to proclaim your message so that it will glorify you. Father, it's my prayer that we would just submit to that so that our lives would glorify you. I thank you that you tell your story through churches in Chicago and churches in Salt Lake City. I thank you that you tell your story around the world, your story of relationship, your story of love, of healing, and forgiveness. Father, may that be what's on our lips as we leave here today, as we go to our families, as we go into our workplaces throughout the week. May it be what we tell ourselves, because quite often we can just fall into this idea that, that we have to figure it out. But would we rest in your mercy, and would we rest in your truth? And we would do it all by remembering your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. <laughs>